0: This is Two Girls, One Mike, the show that talks about the holes and plot holes of your favorite porn. Welcome to Two Girls, One Mike, the porn cast that is sure The Rise of Skywalker porn parody will at least be more thematically accurate. I'm your co-host, Yvette Dantremont. Here's my lovely, talented co-host, Alice
1: Vaughn. Alice, are you a big Star Wars fan or no? You know, we can already guarantee that The Rise of Skywalker will also be the name of the porn parody. I feel there is no need to get too clever
0: on this one. Come on, like, just come on, Wood Rocket. Let's see what you can do. I Wait, I'm going out on a limb here. I feel Tommy Pistol is going to end up being Kylo Ren. Just he has, I, I feel that's that's a thing that would end up happening.
1: Well, I know before the show, we were talking a little bit about a Mandalorian. I would rather see him as Baby Yoda. Just saying. You know,
0: I feel he has the acting talent. I feel he could stretch himself to that. Tommy, hit us up. We've got a great Baby Yoda Porn spell. Oh, God, this is gross. <laughs> We're
1: heading to a weird place early. Look, we don't know how old Baby Yoda is, right? 50 years old. Exactly. So he is of consenting age. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he's just a baby, though. No? I don't care if he can force choke a, a, a warrior woman. He's a baby. Well, he could force choke someone and they would get off. Yeah, if a force choke isn't in it, that's it's all lost.
1: So there is someone who could also potentially pioneer this. I am so ecstatic to have her on the show. We have Brie Mills. She's the chief creative content officer at Adult Time, an award-winning director, and my favorite, most of all, self-described shit disturber. I saw that and I was like, oh, we're going to be friends. Yeah. I don't know if I
2: originally coined that, but I certainly accept it as uh, as testimony. <laughs>
1: I like it. I like it. All right. We just need to edit that onto your Wikipedia page. Then it's official. There you go. That works. So, Brie, for our audience who has never seen your films. Okay. So, first off, where do we begin? Because your films are... I mean, super high quality and unique. Yes. There's definitely stuff that I have not seen before. Where do we even start?
2: Oh, well, um, maybe we can start with the what,
0: and then we can go back to the how, and then we can attempt to try to answer the Why? Um, So (laughs) as you said, bring us to the genesis of the day that you knew your life would be as a pornographer. I'll do my best. So uh, as you mentioned, I'm the chief creative officer for
2: uh, Adult Time. And what Adult Time is, is a uh, streaming service for adult audiences. We have over 50,000 pieces of content within Adult Time. And that includes from many of the most popular studios in the business, uh, but we also, you know, offer not just triple X content. We also offer sex related content. So, um, oh. anything that would interest an adult audience, that's really our goal, whether it includes explicit sex or not. So. Uh, that's kind of the, the my day job, you can say. And then as part of my role as the chief creative officer, I also produce content and write and direct content for different series. And I guess that's where the shit disturber
0: part comes in. You have an, an impressive amount of autonomy, I, I would say, like it to work the way that you want to it, within the industry. Is that something that you've always had or have you solely built up to mm-hmm. this place? So I, I've been in the adult industry for 10 years. Uh, the first five years, I was
2: working more on the internet side of the business. So I kind of got a crash course or an education in understanding uh, different kinds of content and how pay site uh, subscribers, what they were interested in, what they were consuming. And for me, what was really fascinating about that, because as a marketer, and I am an evil marketer at heart, as a marketer, <laughs> what, what really fascinates me is just kind of the the psychological drivers behind sexual desire and what what gets people off. Because it's never usually the macro things. It's always, you know, what, what turns me on is going to be very personalized and usually very specific. And it's going to be very different from what turns you on or what turns, you know, hundreds of other people on. So it's really interesting to see what ends up standing out. And, you know, even just uh, talking to members or reading their comments or seeing where they clicked pause and rewind on videos and all of these things that we can do uh, through data.
0: Well, you can see where people pause and rewind on videos because that is yeah. fascinating. You can see which 10 seconds they're going back to over and over again yeah
2: yeah I mean it's uh, really fascinating to try to study consumption see like uh, how that connects back to larger trends so you know when it came time uh, for us to start producing which in I guess it would have been about 2012 we had acquired a, a massage network it was our first sort of major purchase of another site and we had to maintain the production everything like on the assembly line, was sort of working, but we were wondering why we were seeing, you know, the sales and revenue go down. You know, we didn't have a lot of experience in producing our own content or even really managing our own content production because we'd always relied on the partners we had to to manage that side of their business. Our president kind of turned to me and said, you know, would you be interested in in taking on these sites and seeing if you can run the production? And And for me, I was at the time kind of looking for a new challenge. So I said, sure, I'd never set foot on an adult site before. You know, I had taken some film theory classes in university, but I I wasn't in any way a a well-versed producer. I just had a, you know, like a good imagination. I was a pretty quick writer and, you know, and, and I was looking for a new challenge. So he gave me a site that we had purchased within this portfolio that was a lesbian massage site. And it was sort of the site that was in the steepest decline. And and when you looked at it, it was sort of the same concept over and over again, sort of the same room, different sheet on the massage table, different girl, but otherwise sort of the same concept. And I did what any marketer would do, which is like sort of marketing 101. I just went and started talking to the customers of that site. And I realized that there was this really vibrant community there. People who were uh, lesbian poor fans were extremely uh, loyal, that were very, very passionate about the content, uh, very, very passionate about the performers uh, within the genre. And we're basically saying like, we want to give you our money. We want to support your site, but like, please make it better. And so, you know, I started working with uh, some teams out in LA to start producing and, and rather than kind of doing the same thing over and over again, we broke ground and just started making stories that, I thought would be interesting to this audience and these were kind of just like soap operas and Recurring characters and you know um, plot twists and how and many people Easter slipped eggs. into a coma? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, we can't do that because that would definitely not be a consensual sex scene. But we, uh, but we had Backstory. you know, all kinds of exorcisms and stuff like that. But uh, oh my god! But we, you know, we started to look at these stories as being just sort of having fun with it and being more creative. And all of a sudden, we saw a real uptick in viewership and in, and sales to the site. And we turned it around and it gave me the confidence to pitch what at the time was a really unprecedented thing to the owners of Gamma, which was uh, the idea of developing a network of sites that were all dedicated to lesbian content. You have to remember this was in about 2013 or something. So it was at the time lesbian sites They existed, but they were kind of considered afterthoughts. It was like, you know, shoot your boy-girl scene, and then at the end of the day, you can tack on a girl-girl scene, and nobody's going to watch it. It's not going to make as much money, you know, that kind of mentality. But I was seeing that there was this really, like, rabid fan base that was just looking for a space that would cater to them. And so I worked with the same crew to develop uh, what would become Girls' Way, which was the, when we launched it in 2014, was the first of its kind, the first sort of all lesbian network. You know, we took that same mentality of sort of storylines, and uh, somebody once called us the Marvel Comics of lesbian porn, and I thought that that was really appropriate. Wait, and we just, hold on.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Are there costumes? Are there accurately play zippers? <laughs> yeah.
0: So, there, so it, oh not, not a Marvel
2: Comics necessarily in the sense of it being a cosplay
0: site or only dealing with There's um, cross sci-fi over characters. There's from one universe to another.
1: Well, more vag. Yeah. Didn't yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> lots of crossover, lots of Easter eggs, lots of meta stories, lots yeah. of, you know, just having fun and creating a universe and making stories that we thought would make fun little movies and fun little series. And then it ended up becoming, you know, this really, really big studio. Uh, And so we launched Pure Taboo, which, of course, became a big success for us as well. I had so many ideas, but most of them weren't pay sites. So, you know, that's sort of where I started thinking about, well, what if we had this platform where we could produce a very diverse range of projects, many of which would never get legs if they were released as their own independent sites, but could be really important and both critically and commercially successful series if they were launched as part of this larger platform. And if we started to treat content production the way our mainstream counterparts were doing uh, with digital streaming. So uh, that was sort of the inspiration behind Adult
1: Time, which we um, launched in 2018. So you mentioned, actually, I know earlier on, it was kind of adult time was compared, I know, to Netflix, Disney Plus and all these other streaming services. Uh, So first off, wow, I'm kind of blown away that there's over 50,000. high quality scenes. And you mentioned there's classic content. I mean, I don't know about you, Yvette, but I'm still looking for that very specific grainy, fuzzy tit from like the early 90s. I'm still looking for the pterodactyl porn. I
0: cannot find it. Look, I'm just saying it turned me me into a pterodactyl sexual. I can't undo that. There really was a pterodactyl porn. Yeah, we, which we don't have, unfortunately. But we Damn have, it, I have faith in you that you can make that happen. Of course, it's not lesbian content. So. Well,
2: we, I mean, what's great about it, like I said, we have over 50,000 episodes. We have over 200 channels. Uh, that includes a really eclectic range from like really big studio names to independent uh, studios and filmmakers from around the world and every type of content possible featuring every type of performer and body type possible.
0: That's awesome. Now, along with uh, overall running the site, you're still filming your own movies? Yes.
2: Yeah. So I have, uh, like I like to say that uh, adult time uh, and my role within that team, which is a team of 50 hardworking people that are dedicated on that project. So I'm definitely only one of many is to produce my own content as well. So I will usually shoot about a week's worth of content a month and it's almost always for different projects. So I wrote and directed two feature films this year uh, that we uh, released both as triple X versions and as uh, mainstream films and uh, a whole like about a dozen different series.
1: Were the two films that you released um, without the adult scenes, Mm -hmm. Teenage, Lesbian and Perspective or different? No, those two films. Oh, that's awesome. And those are racking up the nominations, by the way. So I've read that Teenage Lesbian is based on your story.
2: It is. It is. You know, I, um, for a good number of years now, I've wanted to tell a coming out story that wasn't only entertaining and erotic, but was also rooted in real experience and see if we could make a film that broke away from the kind of classic male gaze lesbian fantasy fulfillment of which is that's totally fine and acceptable and enjoyable um you know lesbian cheerleaders volume 10 cool uh but i also wanted to tell a story i
0: prefer volume 12 to yeah, be, just yeah, to be well, clear
1: 24 was my favorite in volume 7 they explored auteur theory that's what matters Yes, that's right. Uh, so I wanted to,
2: you know, to tell a story that was rooted in real experience and to really try to capture what it's like to be a lesbian coming to terms with, um, not just coming out, but coming to terms with yourself. So I felt, um, that maybe the best thing to do to tell the story and to really try to make it as authentic as possible would be to tell my own story. Teenage Lesbian itself is a work of fiction. It's told over the course of uh, the lead character, uh, Sam's final year in high school. She's her sort of 18th year. Uh, obviously, within the context of, of the film, we wanted to make sure that everybody was uh, portrayed as being 18 or over. Yeah. So, it, Unlike Debbie Does Dallas, which we're still mad about. Well, yeah. <laughs> and, and within the course of that sort of school year, and, and the film is told over a series of sort of memories over the, the months of this year... It's her her way of navigating through her own sexuality and her experiences as as a lesbian during that time period. Even though itself is a work of fiction, pretty much every moment in the film is based on something that did
1: actually happen to me. Here's a question. Can anyone yet create an app where we can start blocking lesbian porn from homophobes? Yeah.
0: (laughs) I want that app. I want that app to exist.
1: It's interesting because, you know, within, uh,
2: you know, adult time, we have quite, you know, like a very active community, lots of people that participate in, in our forums and on our video comments. And, you know, you get the lovers and the haters, uh, both sides, but it's really interesting. I don't have to do a lot of engagement within the troops. They kind of battle each other. So you do get, you know, you do get the people that are going to maybe come out and, you know, sort of say negative things, but they're very quickly shot down by the uh, supporters. And we have a really uh, lovely and and growing uh, lesbian identifying member base within adult time. that are very
1: quick to, I think, to sort of beat anybody down. We'll take the boomers kicking and screaming to their graves.
2: Yeah. But you know what? Like overall, the lesbian fan community is extremely respectful Loyal And really, uh, the critical response to this film was overwhelming. I wasn't sure if people were going to want to see real lesbian experiences. And and we didn't. That's a question I have. Well, we didn't sugarcoat the sex. We didn't, you know, the sex, the way that we filmed the sex was all very true to how women actually have sex.
0: So as much less of the uh, the lesbian porn for the male gaze that, yes, were, yeah. that we're that we're so used to. Yeah, because uh, it was we had a, one of our Patreons asked a question when we were we were having a, a our discussion that we have once a month, sit down with our patrons and they had a really good question. And it still baffled me. The question boiled down to if they were to film straight sex in the same style that they film lesbian sex, what would that look like? Like straight sex for the lesbian case. Oh, man. And I'm like, would the mouth kind of barely hover over the genitalia in a way that this is totally going to turn someone? I just I feel that that making sex for the point of view of someone who has never had that kind of sex
1: before. But we're going to make it sexy. Oh, It'll God. Yeah. Blowjobs would look horrible. <laughs> I, I can already imagine it'd be the equivalent of what is it Um, of having like a thermometer in your mouth when you go to the doctor's. <laughs> well, maybe. I feel blowjobs for the lesbian gays is a very small <laughs> genre of porn. I mean,
2: you'd, you'd probably, you'd be it's surprised, you know,
0: when you look at, actually, uh, there's a, a significant
2: portion of uh, lesbian identifying porn watchers who watch gay male porn. Hey. Really? I think it boils down to, and somebody once said this to me, and I, and I, I often think of it, people's porn habits tend to lie in the areas of of sex and sexuality that they don't experience in their real life. And if you think about, not in the case of all lesbians, because everyone's experience and and identity is very unique, but, you know, there's uh, certainly a lot of uh, lesbian women who kind of grew up With some gender confusion, especially if they've never been with a man before. So I think there is a certain drive of seeing men together, seeing like masculinity or also seeing girls getting fucked or having sex and watching kind of from the point of the man that is interesting and appealing to a certain segment of lesbian porn viewers because it's something that isn't what they experience in their real life. And I think when we look at porn as being this sort of, you know, fantasy escape, that certainly would make sense. I myself have never really gotten into gay male porn, but I've certainly watched a fair amount of straight porn with that mentality. So I, I would say that the blowjobs could be quite interesting. Probably a lot, of, lot more dick than you would imagine. A lot more mm. dick than the hetero guys watching the scenes would probably want to see.
1: Can we just have one video that's just a compilation of all the face shots that yes. we're not seeing? I'm actually doing a, a series that I'm filming uh, this
2: month that is, is straight porn, but what, what I'm doing is I, I'm working with three different female performers, and I ask them, you know, who is a male performer that you really like to work with, like somebody who you have really good chemistry with, that you really enjoy having sex with, that you would you would really want to focus on pleasing?
1: I, I'm not mouthing Manuel Ferrara at yeah, all. Yeah, yeah.
0: I'm like I already know what's coming to mind for Alex, and
2: and we're filming we're filming the sex with an equal focus on uh, his reaction and his pleasure, and actually the female. Partners, Unfortunately, not Manuel Ferrer. I think he shoots his own stuff and doesn't really shoot uh, with other
0: companies. I noticed it somewhat recently that we we're watching porn. and It was like, how often do they just not show the guy's face at all? Like, they'll all show the his body. They'll show, but like, they just, the only thing they cut out of frame is the head. And I'm like, is that because men don't want to think that there's a, a guy involved in this dicking? Like, what's happening with the, with the psychology on it? That's one of those old school rules that exist, you know,
2: like, like, oh, if it's straight porn, then you have a stunt cock, but you don't want to see the guy. You just want to see, you know, the penetration, uh, but otherwise focus on the female. That's very, very much like, you know, ingrained into pornographers, like that is how you shoot. But the reality is, is that, you know, if you look at some of the most, uh, one of the top channels, uh, say on Pornhub, is a site called uh, Hot Guys Fuck, where it's really focusing, it's straight sex, but it's focusing on the oh. guys. And this caters to Ooh. multiple audiences. It can cater to somebody Writing that wants that to watch down. the guys. It can cater to somebody who who is interested in just seeing a more, like, kind of universal portrayal of heterosex. You know, for me, what I think is interesting, and this is why for the Turn Him On series I'm doing, what I think would be kind of interesting is seeing... A woman who has chosen, like, this is a guy I really want to fuck and this is, I want to turn him on and I'm going to, I'm going to be excited to try to do everything I can to get him off. And we get to see not only her doing that, but we get to see his reaction. Because that is, it doesn't matter kind of what gaze you're looking at. That's just an interesting thing
0: to see. That sounds a lot more typical of what people's sexual experiences are, is I'm going to please this person, as opposed to there is uh, great bubbling over sexuality from everyone's orifice. And it's just, it's not a, this does sound a little more true to life.
2: Yeah, well, and I'm, I'm kind of in that kick myself right now, like I've sort of shot so much content at this point that I only want to do things that are authentic and genuine. I totally get that there's a, you know, a great space for fantasy fulfillment and traditional porn tropes and all of that. Myself as a, as a creator, personally, I'm just really inspired right now by authenticity. People who really want to have sex together, not trying to fake that sex, just capturing it and then telling stories that are more rooted in real experience.
1: Speaking of fantasy fulfillment, you mentioned Stuntcock, cock. What about stunt vagina? And can I put an ad for that on Craigslist? <laughs> I mean, Look, you I just can't handle it tonight. <laughs>
0: just, I'm just picturing them cutting from the vagina back to the face. They want this performer's reactions with this performer's vagina. Well, yeah, that could happen. <laughs> we know that's never going to happen. But if we could
1: cast for one film,
0: yes. If you were to choose a stunt vagina, do you have a favorite one in the porn universe? I definitely have my favorites. <laughs> there are some pretty ones
2: yeah I mean there's the beautiful ones of all shapes and sizes and and you know what I'm, I'm really proud to say is that I can't I can't actually remember because I'm usually so focused uh, on on the people's faces and as people i'm probably like i'm a really lousy pornographer i i i will admit that (laughs) shit (laughs) disturber i like making movies with sex and sexuality as subject matter but otherwise i'm uh, very much like a mom on set and i just want everybody to be happy and to feel empowered and to feel
0: you know beautiful you're passing out orange slices yes yeah that would be a set i would want to be on i want the set with the orange slices
1: well, we, we do have them, so. Nice. So here's another question we have never asked a director. Is there ever catering on set? The days of
2: formal catering for the most part, I think are over. Mm. I have heard that there are some companies that, that will bring in a caterer or for certain projects. Uh, what we do, cause I think everybody has their own thing, you know, we have craft services. So we have a certain amount of food that's available throughout a day, food and drink. And then we'll do a, yeah. um, a meal for everybody. So we'll do a, a, like a Grubhub order or something like that for everybody. So they can, and, and talent always chooses the meal.
1: So, Brie, you mentioned data early on. So as far as data goes, how much can you see and what are some interesting trends that you're seeing from people's viewing habits?
2: Sure. What I can say that is really interesting is when, you know, we were recently speaking with our members and and trying to kind of understand, engage uh, some of their loyalty attributes. What are some of the things that cause a member to want to stay a member, which is really important to us, that that kind of retention. You can see for the longer that somebody sticks around and watches a scene, the more likely they are going to want to stick around in general. So the actual duration of the scene and how long people watch the scene is a really important uh, metric. We often think of oh, porn clips and then we'll t- say a joke about, uh, you know, you just like 30 seconds to jerk off and then you're done. Well, the reality is that... We get that so
0: often when people review porn with us.
2: Yeah. Well, I think that's probably, you know, for somebody who's looking on a free site, that may be their intention. Just, can I watch something quick just to kind of get off and go on with my day? But when you're subscribing to a site and you're watching the content, it isn't really just for that quick fix. So the content that you put out does need to be compelling. It does need to capture attention, and you know something like uh, *Pure Taboo* is a good example. Those uh, we very much treat that series like like a show. So each of the episodes are about forty five minutes to an hour. They have a quite a long uh, setup oftentimes the story continues on after the sex scene has ended for a bit. And it's interesting to see the number of people who will watch sort of straight through an episode. And a lot of people that comment, you know, I can't believe I actually watched this. You know, this is porn, but why am I watching this like it's television? Or, or you know, I actually fast forwarded the sex so that I could continue to watch the story. That's what
0: we do when we review. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> if they don't stay in character, I rarely watch the sex scenes. Oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, let me phrase that when I'm watching porn professionally.
2: Yeah. So the um, amount of time or the watch time is really an important metric. And, and uh, you know, we look at, at creating content that's going to get you off, but get you equally excited for the next episode as well. And then content quality, and content quality, you know, can be a very subjective statement uh, because quality differs for everybody. But one of the sort of the top trends within content quality that matter to our subscribers is the uh, the quality of the story itself. Uh, The quality of the production, so, you know, everything from the uh, cinematography to the lighting, which is very important to the audio capture, really looking at the production value and how closely that relates to the quality of the storytelling and the pre-production and the creativity and imagination behind the project. And then also, again, kind of coupling uh, what I was mentioning earlier that that I'm personally invested in as well is just a sort of a feeling of authenticity, a feeling of of genuine emotional attraction between the performers. That there's a real chemistry. That it's not just sort of going through the motions. Kind of the greater a feeling of of realism. That has been something we've seen uh, people really gravitate to as well. And and I think that's probably in response to just where we're at in porn in 2020, which is you know there's so much of it. And it's so easily accessible. And it's so easy for anybody to put out anything that people are kind of craving something that's real, something that feels more high quality, something that feels to be a bit of a cut above what you can see on any white couch, on any clip anywhere.
1: Okay. So first off, music to our ears, that you actually care about production value and the quality of the content. But that said, we all know that the cake gets a little messy sometimes when made. So, alright, you have been a director now for a couple of years. What are some great bloopers? Oh. No names have to ever be shared.
2: Well, you know, we do take uh the the people that I work with, we're all pretty passionate Cinephiles and we we all invest a lot of time and energy and you know and money into our equipment and our technique. We, we've certainly a few times uh, in our career, uh, uh, there was one scene where we shot half of a scene and our, our lead cinematographer realized he didn't have cards in his camera. Oh. Um, those are, <laughs> I think that's happened once or maybe twice. That's always fun to explain to the talent uh, afterwards.
0: We know that you just put some work out there, but we need you to do it again. Yeah,
2: but we're going to have to do it all again. Yeah, That
0: was just practice
2: fucking. The only other funny story that I can think of is... For my first couple of years when I was working on the production side, I wasn't really directing. I was um, living in Montreal. I would come down here a couple times a year, but I very much was the writer and, and more of like the production planner, and then I had crews that were executing the production. And the first time I went to meet one of our crews, it was in Las Vegas during the ABN week, and they were shooting up there, and now I was going to be there, so I went to one of our sets. And they, everybody, I think, was kind of quite nervous to make a good impression, and I showed up. I was also nervous. I, was, I think that was the first time or one of the first times I'd been on an adult set. So I was, like, extremely nervous. I wanted to, like, keep my eyes to the ground. I didn't want anybody to, you know, think that I was, you know, leering at them or anything like that. I was quite, you know, also equally nervous. And I step on the set, and all of their equipment, like, sort of simultaneously died. The lights died. No! The cameras, no! And they, no! And they were so freaked out because they sort of thought, oh my gosh. See, that's
0: some authentic banging. Yeah, Everything, yeah. Went, Everything wrong. went wrong.
2: Everything went wrong. They thought, you know, Bree must think that we're... That we're amateurs. And meanwhile, I'm just mostly trying not to make eye contact with anybody so they don't think I'm being inappropriate. Um, so there was a good oh running joke for, for a couple of years after that. I
0: feel the eyes are the one place you can look.
2: Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> like I, I, I like, ah. I'd never, you know, I'd never seen two people having sex like in front of me, you know, unless I was involved in it in some sort of, you know, <laughs> awkward date at some point in my history. So uh, now I've seen so much of it. It's like, you know, eating your sandwich and thinking about, you know, picking up the kids after school afterwards and all that stuff.
1: Uh, so clearly, since you're producing so much content and adult time is the Netflix of porn, the true question is, as a Netflix of porn, can we pitch suggestions and you plan to green light everything we suggest? <laughs> we have a number of ideas. You'll hate them all. Everything will get a three season deal
0: no matter how bad it is. There's some mediocre ones as well. We're not giving out overall deals just like
2: that, but we're always... Uh, but I showed up with a script that's all I needed.
0: Sorry, wait, this
2: isn't Netflix. <laughs> and Netflix does only work with license aggregators, so it's kind of hard to actually get something on Netflix. But we are always open to hearing um, different people's suggestions. We receive a, a, a fair number of, of script submissions or people who want to produce content. What we are mostly looking for at this point are people out there who are producing their content, either at, you know, an independent level or if they're part of a more established studio and are looking to uh, launch a channel on adult time. We have a quite a thriving uh, channel partnership program. As I mentioned, we've grown now to over 200 channels in adult time. Uh, I think over 50 of those are partners that we've launched so people outside of our own internal production house uh, who shoot content. And it really ranges from you know kind of big commercial names to uh, more art house or independent filmmakers and those in the states and also around the world so that's a, a definitely an area if somebody uh, does have ideas or has something they've produced that they would be interested to have distributed on adult time or to have a channel on adult time uh, they can always hit us up uh, on social media that's a great way to get in contact and see if it, if it could be a good fit
1: out of curiosity since you get to see a little bit of how people do their searches and what exactly they're looking for we get this question quite frequently as far as incest not incest well step porn yeah steps mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. We had once a director, I think it was Eli Cross, who compared it to when you go to a supermarket and you buy cereal, but they only have one kind, and then the supermarket's like, oh my god, everybody's buying this one cereal, we should make so much more of it. Mm -hmm. And everybody's just eating that one cereal, and it's this perpetual loop. In this case, the cereal is is step porn, just making sure that I haven't lost you. Yeah, although, I mean, if Kellogg's will answer my calls, I'd be fine with that being a cereal, too. Step count chocolate. But yeah, I would love to know more about is it really the search that's driving that? Is it just directors who won't stop making it? Is it a combination of both? Is it that it's an easy setup? I would be
2: sort of surprised if if it was the directors themselves. Uh, so here's my take on it. Taboo stories and faux cest being kind of one of the most popular taboo tropes. I mean, those types of stories have been around since the days of of, uh, Socrates. So it's a very, very deeply ingrained, deeply rooted taboo in society and culture. And it certainly has been a popular trope within porn throughout porn's history. So, you know, in the 80s, uh, in the sort of heyday of story porn, uh, there was a film series called Taboo, uh, which actually was, I believe, uh, uh, actually portraying an incestuous relationship. Uh, that was a very popular series. And uh, like everything, our industry tends to go through waves of popularity. So you had the 80s, which were very sort of 70s age, were very dominated by traditional film distribution. Distribution and more story-based uh, feature-length films. And then with the introduction of Gonzo filming and the beginning of the internet in the 90s, that really changed. For a long time, it was uh, Gonzo content that was very popular and amateur content that was popular. In the last five years, story porn has become uh, very popular again. And a lot of the story themes are driven by uh, what's being advertised on free sites. And we all know who owns the free sites. So, um, you know, I think probably what caused... The initial popu- resurgence of popularity in the FOSES genre uh, was um, some of those big free site conglomerates who were seeing search trends and then putting out targeted ads to support them and then turning it into kind of the machine that it became. And then, you know, everybody else copycatting, shooting that content because that's what is selling the ads. That's what's getting the views on the porn sites, on the the tube sites and it sort of created the the beast that is now step, you know, everything content. And certainly, you know, there's a good amount of FOSES content on adult time. And I think that, you know, like all trends, it will ebb and flow in its popularity. I think it's already kind of hitting a saturation point, not so much with consumers. People peak. still love it and diehard fans of it, love it, love it, love it. But there's been so much of it shot that I think there's definitely fatigue from the production side. I think, different producers are starting to become more vocal, different performers are starting to become more vocal about wanting to shoot other things. Uh, so I think, you know, we just need to usher in a new hot fad and then that will probably take its place. Although it's not going to go away. It's, like I said, it's been around
0: since uh, Oedipus uh, had the issue with his mother, so... Our friend Steve Gadlin, uh, the, the cat drawing guy who who uh, did an episode with us, he came up with a decent explanation for why there was so much step port. He's like, "Well, they're already in the same house, so it makes for a good setup." I'm like, "That was the whole explanation was they're already in the same house."
2: Well, from a budgeted production perspective, he's onto something in the sense of we we don't have the luxury of being able to go shoot at a lot of different locations. Oftentimes, we're you know stuck shooting in private residences, so you're looking for for at home stories. And that's certainly an at-home
0: story. If people just knew how much of what they watch between porn and regular TV is just filmed at Airbnbs in Pasadena, they would be shocked. I say this having just filmed a TV show at an Airbnb in Pasadena.
1: (laughs) I just want a few more M. Night Shyamalan type twists in my porn. That's all I ask. And really, the cock was dead the whole time. Look, I just want one plumber to go to a beautiful woman's house. She continuously hits on him, and he doesn't sleep with her. And he goes home, and he bangs his stepsister because he's loyal to her. (laughs) Oh, my God. That is a setup that I would watch.
0: Two hours of heavy flirting followed by going home to bang the stepsister. sister.
1: And I need the answer to the conclusion of, did she ever get out of the washing machine or did she ever <laughs> get her arm out of the sink? Because we don't know how it got there or why she's stuck in a washing machine getting fucked, but she is. Uh, yeah, that's an, an interesting trend, the whole getting
2: stuck in places. I, I, I've never shot anything really that delves into that, but I've heard that it's quite popular.
0: Just do one of people going rock climbing. Apparently you get stuck there for like days
1: on end. Between a rock and a hard place. That'll be the new telling of 127 hours. (laughs) So you mentioned that there are sometimes budgetary constraints. Obviously, you shoot in-home and at Airbnbs and, you know, approved uh, sets. But what about shooting outside? I heard that's a little bit harder. And what are some of the constraints and limitations you guys have for, you know, when you don't have an indoor scene?
2: Uh, So uh, I guess to sort of just explain it at, at a larger level... When you're shooting in Los Angeles, there are uh, various legal obstacles that we face uh, within the adult industry. Uh, The first um, is the uh, Measure B law which basically was put in place to target the adult industry and essentially says that you cannot uh, shoot content without protective barriers. So that isn't just including condoms. That also includes, technically, if you are to look at the letter of the law, dental dams for every scene. So it, it was really uh, put in place as a way to try and stamp out adult production because um, obviously dental dam porn is not probably going to be lucrative enough to keep you going as a producer,
0: there's got to be a market out there for dental damn porn. It's probably with the latex fetishists. <laughs> I'm sure there
2: there is a sort of a specific niche market for it, but uh, you know that that was put into law a couple years ago, and what happened was. Um, basically, it put anybody who was uh, shooting content very much on the radar for uh, OSHA violations, sometimes in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. And the way that a lot of adult companies reacted was to stop f- uh, pulling film permits because when you pull a film permit to film, which you need to, you know, if you're producing content, you need to, uh, if you're going to follow the letter of the law, be pulling a film permit. Once the uh, company stopped uh, pulling film permits, we were kind of putting them on the radar for OSHA to come and find them. The city of uh, Los Angeles or the county of Los Angeles had, uh, Film LA had a huge drop in uh, its revenue and in its, its permits. And so they started to go after people who were not pulling permits. And it really became this kind of catch-22, where if you complied with filing permits and filming uh, at locations using permits, then you would be sort of uh, set up for getting a knock on the door from Kalosha and vice versa if you didn't then you're not complying with the permit regulations. Uh so it drove a, a vast the vast majority of adult production kind of to be underground or moving outside of LA County. And so a lot of content now has to be shot kind of like I said under under the radar which you know, means that going out and filming something in downtown LA on the streets is uh, not super easy. It has to really be done kind of uh, guerrilla style uh, if you're going to pull it off, or, you know, really kind of pulling strings to get yourself permitted in a way that's not going to get you targeted. So it's made things uh, quite difficult and it's drove a lot of production out of LA as a result.
0: Which makes me very sad because I miss running into porn stars at breakfast.
2: Yes. Well, I mean, we're still all here, you know. <laughs> if you go, to, go down to yeah. Woodland
0: Hills, it's like the porn capital. So. Yeah, I, I lived in Burbank for a while. So porn capital of the world was right down the street at brunch. Mm-hmm. So
1: speaking of laws, I know that there's a new one actually I don't know if this only applies to LA County or if all of California, but I'm sure you both know what I'm referencing in regards to freelancers. Uh, Yeah, AB5. Yeah, AB5. So a little bit of background on it. Uh, Can either of you speak to that? Because I don't know much.
2: AB5 is actually a law that it is in effect. It went into effect at the beginning of this month and it it was primarily targeting, um, the rideshare industry. So Uber and Lyft drivers, but it kind of, um, the way it was written, it envelopes anybody who's a independent contractor into it. So, um, it hurts writers too. Well, it hurts everybody in the entertainment industry, which is, you know, primarily made up of freelancers. It means as a freelancer, unless you set yourself up as a corporation, it's going to be increasingly difficult for you to just get jobs as a freelancer because all of a sudden you're deemed in the eyes of the law an employee of the company you're working for. And similarly, anybody who's employing you uh, all of a sudden has all of the risks and the um, associated expenses of hiring you as they would if you were actually being hired as an employee. So that can include from like a a tax purpose and also for like a worker's comp and insurance uh, perspective. So it really uh, threw a wrench in the way a lot of companies within both kinds of entertainment, mainstream and and adult function. But, you know, if if you're going to look at a silver lining to it at all, you know, within our industry, at least it's really motivated people to go out and Get themselves incorporated, which is something they should be doing anyway, so they can really uh, run their business like the business that it is and take care of their accounting and take care of their, their taxes and everything. So I actually, as, as difficult as it is, and it does, it will certainly add cost to producers, you know, about 15 to 20% higher cost than, than what we had been doing previously. I think for the long run, it's going to probably get people in a better position, particularly independent contractors, to manage their own personal businesses moving
1: forward. Where do the additional costs, uh, where are they incurred? Uh, well, it's just, you know,
2: as as a third-party producer, if you're going to hire somebody who isn't incorporated, you know, you're going to need to start to look at things like payroll services, offering uh, a workers' comp, uh, things mm-hmm. that you didn't have to do previously, uh, and all those things do add up.
1: Makes sense. And I know, Yvette, you're a journalist. What is the limit now, 30 or 40 articles for the year for freelance?
0: I could be wrong, but I thought it was something like 26. It was something very low. And luckily, luckily, I don't publish all that often because I do long, very deeply researched pieces. But I mean, I've seen it already with fellow journalist friends in California where the publishing houses in New York don't want to hire them because they have to fuck with the California law now. So it's like I'm lucky that I work on a quality, not ridiculous quantity uh, model, because if I was someone who sat down and wrote 400 words a day for a pittance uh, and just had to keep producing, I'd be fucked. Makes sense. So that's fun.
1: Yvette, do you have any additional questions?
0: Here's one thing I want to ask you, I guess, to help get this message out to our our followers. Why should people pay for their porn? Mm -hmm. Well, I, I would
2: say that it needs to start with porn worth paying for, which is really sort of central to Adult Time's vision and our values. You know, our aim is to treat porn differently. So, you know, we understand that in 2020, you don't have to pay for it. Yeah. Uh, we're not going to be blind to that. You, anybody can get anything at the click of a button and it's uh, increasingly high quality where we're looking to fill a void is for those who, you know, are interested in in having a subscription that they can depend on, that's going to offer continuous value, that's going to have lots of stuff that they like, you know, that they can watch on repeat or that they can expect week after week and also a lot of new uh, projects that are coming up that, you know, we're a really good destination for that. And it's all one low monthly subscription uh, price. So, you know, there's no upsells. It's once you're within adult time, it's you get everything that Adult time has to offer as part of that same uh, monthly plan. We offer both streaming plus downloading options. If you are going to pay for porn, today. That's where we're coming in as an option to provide that uh, creativity and value and and something that not just uh, we're proud of, but also the people who are working with us are proud of as well. So uh, porn done differently. If that appeals to you, then you should check us out.
1: Awesome. Porn done differently. We like it. And some other things we like are our Patreons. Our patrons are going to get this and some additional bonus content we're going to be shooting at Avian and XBiz. So Yvette and I are really excited to bring that to you guys. So you guys could go to patreon.com slash twogirls one mic or just twogirls one mic and hit the support button and you can help fund this show and get amazing additional content. By the way, this week we want to thank... Priest Pilot, Dennis Dionysus, Falco Hyfing, Howard Lee, John S., Rick, Thea Maeve, Richard Horrell, Carl, Neil Simpson, Marie Strubel, David Bullock, Graham Smallwood, Holish Ike, and many, many others. Again, go to twogirlsonmic.com or patreon.com slash twogirlsonmic. And Brie, thank you so much for joining us. By the way, where can our listeners find you and or anything you're working on?
2: Uh, Well, thank you so much for having me, uh, ladies. It was really uh, fun to sit down and talk with you guys and uh, uh, even talk a little bit about Star Wars before the show started. We are always available on social media. Um, Adult Time is the hub for everything. So uh, you can find us on Instagram and on Twitter at adulttime.com, also adulttime.com, which is a completely safe for work public site if you're checking it out uh, from anywhere. Good to know. Good to know. And also um, you can follow me personally on Twitter and Instagram, and my handle is at the Bree Mills. And I only use the the because unfortunately, at Bree Mills is taken by, I'm sure, a very lovely female pastor in the South who must really hate me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Been there.
1: Ah, and Yvette, where can our listeners find
0: more of you? You can find me at the Babe on Twitter and Instagram because there's also a Babe already. Uh, and you can find me at Facebook.com slash SciBabe where
1: I am snarky and sciencey. Alice, where can our listeners find you? You guys can find me on Twitter at Rational Blonde because I guess there's no other Rational Blondes in existence.
0: You're the only one. It was lone wolf's an operation.
1: But you guys can also tune in next week, where you'll have more of Yvette and I. So tune in next week and leave a comment and or review. And bye bye. Bye guys. Bye.